Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today. Uh, you know, this is a relatively new phenomenon. We had only three runoffs, 2015, 19, and now 23. And obviously when you have a runoff, that shortens significantly the transition period. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is Jason Lee, senior advisor to mayor-elect Brandon Johnson's winning mayoral campaign and a senior advisor now to the mayor-elect's transition team. Jason, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Fran. Before we get started about the transition, let's talk a little bit about you. You are the son of a congresswoman. Tell us about that and what's that like? Uh, well, it's uh, it's been um, a good experience. Uh, my mother, I'm originally from Texas, and my mother was elected to uh, Congress when I was young. I was eight or nine, and um, I grew up around politics, uh, but I actually didn't initially want to go into it myself. So I thought I should do something different, um, and so I learned a lot, but I wasn't you know, fully enmeshed because I had my eyes on other things. And I ended up being uh, going to school and getting a degree in economics and then working in finance for several years. Uh, and I came to Chicago uh, primarily because I wanted to learn how to organize. Um, I, I wanted to change my career and learn how to become an organizer. Um, that's uh, why a lot Barack Obama. Maybe. Yeah, I guess so. Um, and I, and I, that's how I got uh, linked up with, uh, Mayor like Johnson, he he gave me an opportunity to come to Chicago and learn how to organize with the uh, teachers union at the time. Um, but at that same time, the teachers union was also um, getting more involved in electoral campaigns. And they asked me to help on one of their campaigns. And that actually got me uh, into politics. So most people think it's because of uh, my mom, but it's actually not that. So I'm grateful for the opportunities and some of the things that I kind of I've picked up the osmosis um, during my youth. And who is your mom? Identify her for us. My mom is uh, is Sheila Jackson Lee. She's a congresswoman from the 18th Congressional District uh, of Houston, which is like um, represents downtown Houston and also the, the south south the southern part of the city. And she is now running for mayor of Houston, isn't she? Interestingly enough, she is. Um, she served in the House of Representatives for many years, and um, now 
um, has an opportunity to, to return to the city that she loves and serve in a different capacities. And so are you going to run down there and run her campaign as a good son would or maybe might or well, not? I, don't think, I think that a good son uh, would know not to try to run their mother's campaign. Um, <laughs> that is, that I think is, I was uh, kidding when I asked that. Yeah. I think you're right. That's wise. Yeah, it's that like not be, doing uh, your mother's taxes, right? Right, if you're exactly. An accountant. Exactly. So you'll advise her from afar, maybe, right? Sure. No, definitely. I, I want to. Uh, I still um, love my city, and obviously, I love my mom. I mean, my former city, or and I love my mom. So, uh, I try to help where where I can. Okay, so now you're knee deep in the transition to power, with less than three weeks to go until inauguration day. How is it going? I think it's going well. You know, I think we talked about this before. I think there were certain factors leading into this transition that were very unique. Uh, you know, this is a relatively new phenomenon. We had only three runoffs, 2015, 19, and now 23. And obviously when you have a runoff, that shortens significantly the transition period. And of those three races, obviously Rahm Emanuel was already an incumbent, didn't really require a transition. Lori Lightfoot um, did require a transition. However, uh, because of the kind of nature of the race, probably was beginning that transition period prior to winning uh, because there was, you know, frankly, writing on the wall. In our particular case, we were in a neck and neck election um, for, uh, you know, the duration. And so there wasn't really a lot of time to think about the nuts and bolts of transition during the campaign. We were pretty heavily focused on trying to win it. And so that's left us with a relatively uh, shortened transition period. I think, um, and also making sure that in a di relatively divided election, that there's time for real outreach across the city. And so we've had to take some time to do that, um, but it's been important and it's helped us build a good foundation, I think, uh, heading uh, into inauguration. We were able to announce a good foundational leadership team with Rich Gaitis and uh, Senator Tassion Zanaya and that is the foundation that will help build out the mayor's office. And those conversations are proceeding rapidly. Uh, and we've also put together a good team of folks behind the scenes who are meeting with the Lightfoot administration, uh, collecting information about what's happening at the various departments uh, and what are some of the immediate challenges that we will face that we'll need to resolve. In the meantime, uh, we also, during the transition, Chicago was awarded the DNC Obviously, we're grateful for the efforts of Senator Duckworth, uh, Governor Pritzker, and, and Mayor Lori Lightfoot. We also think that our victory played some role or some small role in, in that uh, happening. And we've begun conversations with the uh, team and the host committee or the standing host committee about how to make those efforts successful. Um, and so there's been a lot of positives that have happened uh, during the transition. I think most people don't know that the transition is not a publicly funded endeavor. Uh, we're required to fundraise uh, resources to pay for the transition staff and also to pay for inaugural activities. And so there's an element of campaigning that, that you- uh, Yeah, that you have to keep raising money. Right, exactly. And so- How much have you raised so far for both? Um, well, we're, we're, you know, our fundraising is going well. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll have the resources we need to, um, 
you know, to fund what, what, what we're doing. We have two committees, uh, you know, obviously we have our campaign committee and we, but we also have a five Oh one C four called Chicago for the people that we created uh, just for this purpose. And so, you know, we've been raising at, at a good clip, but it does require, um, you know, time and investment and cultivation. Where is the inaugural? Um, I don't know. I think the, the announcement's coming soon. Um, you know, all I can say is it will not be at the same location uh, that it was it last time. It Trust Arena yeah, that has a bad does. taste in everybody's mouth because Lori Lightfoot got off on such a bad foot with the aldermen by shaming them into a standing ovation for corruption, <laughs> for, for reform after calling them corrupt. That was not a good way to start. Yeah, I, I I do remember that uh, that that conversation. I think the Wind Trust facility has a competing uh, event, and so we've tried to. I know our team is going to uh, find a facility that is similar in, in scale, so that we can have, you know, as many people who want to attend uh, at the inauguration as possible. You know, our again, our committee You're is talking about Chicago. the United Center, perhaps, or well, I don't know. Well, yeah, that would be that would be interesting. I don't know about the United Center, but some some facility with 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 a with a good a good um, you know good uh, seating size. I remember covering the '89 transition to Richard M. Daly. He had been elected to the uh, finish of a two year two year finish of a term, um, and he uh, a special election. He announced an entire cabinet that would be taking over with him. A few holdovers, only a few, mostly people he was choosing, a few who had served under his dad, Richard J. Daly. Will Mayor Johnson be doing that, or will he be asking some of Lightfoot's people to stay on even temporarily? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And I think that, you know, what I'll say is, um, you know, I've been reticent and tried to avoid discussing people's, you know, job security in the, in the media. Um, one, I don't, that's not necessarily my role within the transition. And also, you know, I think it's probably not a good thing. I do think that you're unlikely to see the type of wholesale uh, changes that potentially daily brought in. I think we have to look at given the timing of the transition um, uh, that there should be some, or at least initial continuity um, so that we can make sure that, you know, government um, maintains its core functions. Um, and we want to have an opportunity to really engage uh, the team that's that's currently uh, in office, uh, understand them, you know, what they're working on and kind of what what they see uh, as as their future um, uh, collaboration with our administration. So uh, that's what I would say there. We definitely don't expect to make wholesale universal changes in, uh, within the city uh, departments. Cabinet members always turn in their resignations as a courtesy whenever a new mayor takes over. Who among Lightfoot's team are you impressed with and want to keep maybe even for a long time? You know, some of the people that come to mind, for me at least, are, you know, the housing commissioner, Marisa Navarra, uh, Health Commissioner Allison Arwady, who led Chicago through the pandemic, is openly campaigning to keep her job. Aviation Commissioner Jamie Ree, who's presiding over the O'Hare expansion, perhaps Transportation Commissioner Gia Biaggi. What about those people? Look, I think that, you know, there's been a lot of, as you can imagine, Fran, we've received 
a lot of feedback and um, advice, if you will, on folks who are currently working within city government. And certainly several of the names that you've mentioned uh, have been brought up by numbers of stakeholders. Some of them have, uh, you know, you know, received strong reviews from certain segments of the constituencies that deal with their departments or deal with their agencies. So we take all of that into consideration. The good news is, uh, you know, part of why we hired someone like Rich Guidis, um, who has worked for years uh, and worked with everyone in the current administration, he's really the lead on helping make those assessments or at least facilitating those conversations. I personally have not engaged with any of the commissioners directly, uh, so I don't wanna speculate, but I know there is a rigorous process to do that. And we've definitely received feedback on a number of folks who, 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 who are appreciated for the service they provided for the city. Uh, one of the bizarre things was that Lightfoot's decision to release a mid-year financial analysis in April claiming that Chicago is facing the smallest budget shortfall in recent history at 85 million, hundreds of millions less than Lightfoot's own analysis of July of last year. Do you believe those numbers? It certainly was rather undermining for Mayor Johnson, who had just gone to Springfield and making the case for new revenue. And now she, here she is saying, we don't need much more of it. And as long as you stay the course the way I have done it, including keeping the annual property tax increase and devoting this huge $600, $700 million surplus that she claims exists from last year and this to prepaying pensions, you don't even need to do anything practically. Well, yeah, that's definitely, that, you know, that's one possible interpretation that someone might have uh, of, of, of the budget. But I think of the forecast that was put out, the good news was when we went to Springfield, which was right after that, um, we didn't hear that feedback, right? I think the, 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 the team in Springfield, the leadership, the Senate president, the speaker, the house, the governor, I think they were all still very much committed to the idea that Chicago, Chicago public schools uh, could benefit from additional revenue or additional resources. Uh, and I think there are folks actively, as you, as we speak, looking at the budget, trying to find opportunities to to resource Chicago, specific, particularly around the, uh, the, the 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 you know violence prevention and youth jobs, which are one of the key priorities going into the summer. So it, it didn't have a kind of um, numbing effect on our con discussions about revenue for the city of Chicago. So that's good. Uh, as far as the forecast goes, it. it I think this forecast might have been put out earlier than other mid-year forecasts have in the past. Of course, we're not yet to mid-year based on certain projections about tax revenues and receipts. Those, th those numbers can be volatile uh, in, a, in a kind of dynamic economy. I think uh, uh, Alderwoman Pat Dow, the budget chair, she, uh, you know, she advised caution uh, on that, just given the timing and some of the variables that could change. So we're going in eyes open to evaluate, you know, what was put out, but also make sure we have our own understanding of where we think the budget is and understanding also that, you know, having a small budget deficit is a good thing. It, you know, if it indeed is the case, Chicago still requires significant investment to get ourselves, um, you, you know, to address some of the, the severe challenges that the city faces 
uh, that we were elected to resolve. We've got a homelessness problem. We've got a migrant uh, challenge uh, that is that that is you know on the horizon, if not already here. Uh, public safety remains front and foremost on everyone's mind, and that's going to require significant investment. And so, regardless of where we are uh, with the deficit, and we hope it's as small as it can be, we are still going to be looking to find opportunities to increase our spending in critical areas. Now, there is no corp council. Celia Meza decided to leave early, which was kind of strange also, because normally the corp council stays until the bitter end. I'm hearing you're considering Brendan Schiller. Is that right? Um, Mr. Mr. Schiller is a, um, a well-known uh, and accomplished uh, attorney. I personally have not had any discussions with him. I, I, I haven't even heard of, of, of necessarily any interest in the position. I know he's got a, a very robust uh, civil rights practice, uh, works on many different critical cases throughout the city. So I couldn't speculate on that. I know that there are a number of um, candidates and which makes me feel very good because corporate counsel, as you know, Fran, is one of the most challenging uh, uh, positions in the entire city. You've got a massive law department with hundreds of lawyers to manage, which means you not only need a, 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 an excellent litigator who understands uh, case law, they don't have to be a litigator, but, but, but possibly an excellent litigator, but someone who actually can manage staff, which not all great litigators are adept at. So the fact that we've already identified, uh, or, or not me, but, uh, but the team that's looking at that, which is also a team of attorneys uh, to help evaluate the corporate counsel, has identified a number of strong candidates, that's a good sign. Uh, and we expect to have someone very strong in that role. Now, you fleshed out a transition team today with a bunch of subcommittees. What was interesting to me is the presence of Brendan Dinahan former chief of detectives for the Chicago Police Department. Will he be your interim superintendent? That is critical. You got to get through the summer and and get to the point where you choose a, a, a permanent yeah. superintendent. It's a, it's a critical role and we're working diligently on that. Um, as far as Mr. Dinahan goes, um, I just want to say that he, he has been a very uh, uh, thoughtful, um advisor on a host of issues as you remember friend when we when when, when the mayor elect was running one of our core um public safety uh, uh policy proposals was to increase the number of detectives and the investigative capacity within the chicago police department mr dinahan uh is an expert in doing that and also getting the most out of the detectives that we do have so we can increase the clearance rate he had some success increasing the clearance rate when he was head of uh detectives and so we wanted to leverage that knowledge i think currently mr dinahan has accepted a position at google or, or is in a position at google a very um high level position and so his career um, you know, it, it, it may not allow him to 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 serve in an interim capacity, but we are heavily relying on his counsel and, and hopefully we will have an interim, not hopefully, we will guarantee to have an interim who, one, has the trust and respect of the rank and file, and two, uh, has a commitment to, uh, and this is not an order of priority, but they're all equally important, uh, two, has a deep commitment to constitutional uh, policing and continue our efforts there, and three, has a really strong and robust plan for the summer 
that is that is comprehensive and multidimensional. So then who, if not him, Bob Boyk? He's also a, one of your public safety committee co-chairs. Yeah. Mr. Boyk uh, is an expert at uh, a police staffing, uh, which is another thing we have to look at given where we are. Uh, we want to understand the best way to utilize the resources we have. Uh, again, I, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but we will, we're working on this. Uh, we will, we want to make an announcement soon. There are a number of quality um, police uh you know, police men, police leaders in the city who are retired or other agencies who could step in at an interim basis. We don't want to step on the work of the commission. I, I saw today they just retained a search firm. Uh, there's a number of candidates within the department who have put themselves into the um, into, you know, who have not, you know, put themselves into the running for the permanent position. We don't anticipate uh, someone using someone who's strongly under strong consideration for the permanent position as the interim. We want a, an interim who can can serve as the interim and then transition the position on to the permanent hire. Right. And we mentioned we wrote a story this week about yeah. the possibility of Eddie Johnson or Charlie yeah. Beck. Charlie Beck would be intriguing. He came here once before. He did a great job holding down the Ford after Johnson was fired. And then he he orders this massive reorganization and David Brown undoes the whole thing. He says, I, I don't want to come back if it's going to be the same outcome. What about him? Yeah, I mean, Charlie Beck is someone who is uh, well regarded in the in the world of, of law enforcement nationally, obviously came to uh, Chicago, uh, you know, as as Mr. Dinahan explained it to me. Um, every police department has its own structure or jargon or right it's the same 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 game but maybe different terminology and you got to learn the terminology to be able to manage so he had a little bit of a learning curve but he had some really good ideas uh and proposals that they tried to implement i think that uh mr guidus uh is knows uh mr beck very well and uh, they've had some conversations, I think, um, about, uh, you know, just getting getting feedback and, and, and understanding his perspective. We're trying to talk to as many people as we can uh, to try to understand where we are and where we need to go. Is he a possibility for interim superintendent again? That's a, that's a good question. I don't. Um, you know, again, his name is, has come up a number of times. I think there's a number of considerations. We have a number of uh, folks who have worked for a long time within the department uh, and who have a connection to the rank and file. So that may be uh, more so the direction that we're looking at this point. But again, Mr. Guidus and Mr. Beck have a strong relationship. So he's still, you know, they're, they're still in communication there. Anthony Riccio is another possibility. Have you talked to him, and is he a possibility for interim superintendent? I, I personally not. I personally have not um, uh, spoken with him. So um, Beck told me that the single biggest thing that you could do to improve morale would be to get rid of merit promotions, which he got rid of, and then only yeah. to bring to have Brown bring it back. The cops yeah. don't feel it's fair. It's the political game in Chicago, as we, we become so well known for, and that they need to know that it's on the up and up. Are, is Mayor Johnson going to get rid of merit promotions? 
I, I don't want to speculate on whether he would get rid of uh, merit promotions. What I will say, though, is in the course of, of the Merrill-X conversations with a host of uh, law enforcement leaders, both past and present, um, this issue of merit promotion has come up multiple times. Uh, it's something that the Merrill-X experience as a, uh, frankly, rank-and-file educator uh, which he sees many parallels between that and being a rank and file law enforcement officer. He has a deep kind of understanding of the way in which an, a potentially or perceived unfair promotion system can sap morale and actually, um, um, you know, undermine performance. People need to feel like if they do a good job, they have a realistic opportunity of being rewarded with opportunities, regardless of who they know or where they're from. And if that's not the case, you 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 could see a lower investment on their part in, in, in the day to day work. And that's something that we cannot afford. And so I, I don't want to speculate on whether he would remove merit promotion. But I will say he does understand the challenges that we have and wants to address this issue of morale uh, through whatever angle that we can. The first official city council meeting under Mayor Johnson will be a few days after the inauguration, which is a ceremonial city council meeting in itself. At that meeting, the mayor will have to decide whether to put his stamp on the city council reorganization approved before Mayor Johnson was even elected and the council could even be sworn in or leave it alone and move on to more important problems. Finance Chairman Scott Wagesback was on this show last week. He wants to hold on to his leadership post. He's one of the architects of that reorganization, which added nine committees for a total of 28. He has warned the new mayor to leave this alone. Will Mayor Johnson leave this alone, or is he determined to put some of his own people in charge of these most important committees? Well, I appreciate the question, Fran, and I think that what I'll say is we've the mayor elect has been clear um, from the beginning, uh, from the campaign till now, which is to say that what he wants is a collaborative relationship with city council. Now, historically, uh, that that collaboration requires uh, dialogue and input from both sides. The organization of the city council is important uh, for the city council, it's important for the mayor's office, for the departments. Uh, it's important for the city and our ability to move forward on critical issue areas. Um, and so we anticipate, you know, having discussions with members of the city council up until that first city, uh, uh, up until that first meeting about uh, the structure. Uh, uh, and, you know, we've already begun those conversations, including with individuals who uh, are part of the, the reorganization plan. So. Uh, I feel good about those conversations. I, I don't know, you know, certain things have been said in the press for different reasons, but in our actual um, conversations, they've been pretty uh, congenial. And so I'm, I'm not, I'm fairly confident that, that we will, uh, that, that this will work itself out. But will it work itself out with you having your stamp on this and having a couple of key people in key positions to make sure that your agenda is not sabotaged? Yeah, look, I think that like, um, you know, if you look at the, you know, and again, I'm, I'm not overly, my understanding, uh, and again, we have many allies um, and in the city council, both newly elected, previously elected, and 
we've actually had some really good conversations with folks who didn't support us, uh, who were very publicly against us. There's been a spirit. I think there was an article and uh, a paper whose name I won't say, but there was an article about, uh, you know, Paul Valla supporters and what in the city council, what they're going to do. And there are actually some some positive comments in there about people saying, look, they want to give the mayor elect an opportunity. They want to work uh, with him. And so we've had some good conversations. So it's not necessarily about, you know, stacking committees with our allies, uh, because we think a, a lot of folks can become our allies. Certainly, uh, many of our allies were already in the proposed plan and in critical uh, committees, uh, already had very strong roles. So that's not really the issue. It's more so about a council structure that is functional and can work. And, uh, you know, there are certain things that you have to consider that may not be on top of mind uh, for, for the average voter, but they're important to the functioning of the council, as you know, right? For example, uh, the number of committees that you have, you know, you have to look at that because the, the, the mayor's intergovernmental affairs office will have to uh, work with yeah. those committees. And yeah, you only 28 have so many is people. too many, isn't it? 19 was so too many. many. They hardly the, met. The, Right. You only have so many people in the in the, in the department. So I'm not going to say it's too many or it's too few, but I'm just saying it's something we have to look at very closely because there are logistical challenges. And so we then have to figure out how do we make this work. So these are the kind of conversations that we're having, much less about, you know, stacking committees with allies and much more about how do we make a, a, a council that can function and serve the ends that it needs to. And 28 is 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 not functional. It logistic it's a kind of a logistical nightmare even if you could find the money for it which we don't have well friend i don't you know those are your words and and well, but what you do you know, think you know, i'm I, asking you what do you think do we need them look again i i'm not i'm not an expert on 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 that and i'll be honest i'll always be honest with you friend about what i what i know and what i don't and i'm not going to say i don't know I'm, I'm not an expert on it all i but i do know yes that when you expand the number of committees there are logistical challenges that have to be considered beyond even the budget allocation that you're making so these are the conversations that we have to have and and so yeah i think that you know whether it be the better government association or, or certain other organizations they've asked the question of whether that's sustainable so we have to look at that the business community lined up behind Paul Vallis. They bankrolled his campaign. They were determined to stop an $800 million avalanche of tax increases that Mayor Johnson needs to bankroll the array of social investments that form the cornerstone of his anti-violence strategy. They're concerned about his past support for the concept of defunding the police. What meetings has the mayor had? What outreach has there been with business leaders since he won the election? Uh, I mean, it's been there's been a ton of outreach. We had so many meetings with so many different business leaders and CEOs from every facet of the uh, business community, from gaming to financial services, construction and development, um, healthcare, um, retail, um, uh, consumer products. The thing about Chicago's economy, as you know, Fran, is it's not uh, concentrated in a sector. We have a very diversified economy. Um, and so we've been meeting with leaders, business leaders throughout the ecosystem. We've also been focusing on, you know, constituencies, business constituencies that historically have been fighting for more opportunity. The black business community, the Hispanic business community, the women business community, small business community. Uh, and so we have had very positive conversations, I think some of which have been reported in the media with various business leaders. Uh, and we feel very good about where we are. One of the things that we said during the campaign 
was that, you know, what we wanted was to have an exchange of ideas. Our revenue proposal was really set out to articulate our values, which is we need to get, we need to address kind of what had been described and what, you know, most people still think is an ongoing structural deficit in the city of Chicago, because that structural deficit eats up the ability to invest. We need to make critical investments in areas in order to make the city safe and also to make it, you know, equitable and, and livable for all. And I mean, for all, for people who live downtown and people who live south and west and north for all. Um, and we need to try to do that without putting the burden on on property tax payers, because we've seen that be a, uh, a, have a, a negative impact on on their ability to remain in the city. Beyond that, we were up to negotiation and, and, and discussion on any particular policy point. If anyone had a better idea that got to those three values, we're all ears. Now, when we had these conversations during the campaign, frankly, you know, we didn't hear a lot of feedback. And that's probably because, you know, uh, you know folks weren't necessarily interested in helping us out <laughs> or, or at that time. <laughs> Uh, you know, they may have been supporting someone else. Since uh, uh, April 4th, though, uh, now they are offering ideas. And, and what them, ideas uh, What ideas have they offered in, in, in instead you know, of example, the head yeah, there, tax there's an idea, and the financial they, transaction tax and the hotel tax, which they are dead right. set against? So, so for example, I'll give two examples. One, um, one is an idea around using zoning. Um, using zoning to generate upfront revenues from folks who want to get certain zoning changes. Um, and that could deliver a certain amount of revenue. And if you find areas where, you know, we're kind of, everyone's agreed that these areas could be rezoned, that could, that could, that could generate some significant revenue for the city, right? That's one idea that that's been proposed that we're, you know, we're interested in looking at. Two, uh, another idea that came from the business community really had to do with how to deliver certain um, uh, additional efficiencies through the city's IT infrastructure uh, and save money there by digitizing a lot of our efforts. Uh, and over a period of time, you know, they, they think there are even more um, efficiencies and cost savings than even our own plan anticipated. So we're happy to, to get these proposals and, and folks have been excited to kind of do some legwork on them, you know, and bring them to us. So those are just two uh, cost-saving, revenue-generating ideas that have already come from the business community uh, since uh, April 4th. I assume he's going to drop the head tax. Everybody hates that. Everybody. They call it an anti-job tax. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because actually I had a conversation with someone who was close to the Emanuel administration who said at one point they had considered bringing it back um, because of some issues that were happening with the Rauner administration. Uh, and so they had a proposal. So, you know, look, I, I, at the end of the day, like we said, uh, you know, I'll just repeat what I said is that we have we put forward a number of ideas because we needed to start the conversation and we wanted to be transparent with the city about the real challenges. One of the, you know, our critique of, of previous elections in the city of Chicago had been that, you know, people want to do the most politically expedient, uh, you know, say the most politically expedient thing. And then when they get in, because they didn't say what they were going to do, they rely on the things that have been hurting us, you know, property taxes, fines and fees. We don't want to do that. Right. The head tax was one idea that was proposed. If there are better ideas, we're, we're all ears. Um, and so we'll continue to have these conversations. But he's not going to keep the automatic escalator on property taxes, even though Lightfoot is recommending that. Look, we 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 just the mayor elect, 
you know, he, he says it all the time. It took three different government programs uh, for him to be able to buy his home. And he lives on a, in a neighborhood uh, in Austin where you've got fixed income seniors trying to pass on their home to their kids and their grandkids so they can have stability. And this rise in property taxes makes it very difficult for these individuals to stay in their home. This is not an abstract concept to the mayor elect. This is real. He knows, he sees the faces of the people who are struggling. And so if we can figure out another way, that is going to be his strong preference uh, to, to maintain our fiscal viability, but find another way without continuing to, to, to uh, rely you know, solely on property tax increases. Before we let you go, just let me give you a couple of quick, real quick uh, lightning round kind of c- questions about the Commonwealth Edison franchise that Lightfoot negotiated, tried to tried and failed to push it through the council. Will the mayor start over or will he just tweak that agreement? We've got to we've got to talk to the city council about that. I think some some of some individuals had some s- significant concerns about that agreement, and so it may require more significant uh, adjustments. But we want to work with the city council on that. Uh, LaSalle Street reimagined that plan that she tried to push through yeah. before she leaves. Are you going to keep that, or is what are you going to do with that? Uh, you know, part of the challenge is. We don't have all the information uh, on the the Los Los Street reimagined program. Um, we've seen what's been reported in the in the press. Obviously, fi- figuring out creative ways of reimagining our downtown, making it more residential, helping um, you know address some of the occupancy challenges we're having with the change in how people work are very important. Um, and so, this idea is one that that could be you know, that, that, that is pointing in that direction. I think the devil's in the details to make sure that the city's investment actually, uh, you know, is delivering the return for the entire city, both in terms of affordable housing, increased economic activity downtown. Those are numbers we just haven't seen yet. And we need to evaluate that in order to be able to evaluate the deal. Guaranteed minimum income, that pilot, yeah, 31 million. Keep okay, it expanded. You know, what? Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, it was a pilot, so I think directionally, yes, we we think that a guaranteed minimum income is a good, you know, it's a good idea. Uh, but you know, the point of the pilot is to kind of see how it's working. So we want to see how it's working. If we can get any data back on on the impact of it, you know, that would be helpful, and then we can make an assessment from there. Asylum seekers at police stations. Should they be there? Do they belong there? Well, I don't think that I don't think anyone thinks that's the, the ideal solution. Right. I, I think that we Should need they to get them out of there. Is, is yeah, it we, dangerous? I think, yeah. In the long term, we have to figure out a, another solution here. Uh, you know, we got to look at our options. I, I don't want to I want to be very clear. This is a very uh difficult issue to resolve for us. You know, the 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 the, the housing is is expensive and it's complicated. However, uh, we we are a welcoming city in Chicago. These are human beings, and we need to find solutions. Hopefully, working with state and even federal partners uh, to find you know somewhat better um, uh, processing uh, conditions. As Alderman Alderwoman Haddon had suggested a, a larger processing center. I don't think that's a bad idea, but yes, we need to figure something out. Lightfoot had a massive police detail. 
Does Mayor Johnson plan to scale it back? I'm not familiar with the size of Mayor, uh, Mayor Lightfoot's detail. Uh, he will have a detail. It will be appropriate to the uh, the needs of his family. He has uh, obviously a wife and three children, all attending public school. Uh, he lives in Austin. Uh, and so he will have a, a detail that is commensurate to, to the, the scale of, of his security needs, but also will also will always, and everything he does, have an eye towards uh, the broader public safety of the city and also the cost and, and budget to the taxpayers of Chicago. Dorville Carter at the CTA. He was highly critical of the CTA's performance. Yeah. You have Cam Buckner on your subcommittee. Well, Dorville Carter, does he need to go? Look, you know, I don't want to, I won't want to discuss anyone's employment status uh, through the media. I just don't think that's fair. We clearly, uh, we need as a city to make critical investments in CTA. In fact, friend, one of the things that I'm concerned about personally is that some young people um, are not able to access summer opportunities because their parents are afraid to put them on public transportation. Uh, and that can't happen. We need young people to feel free to move around the city to take advantage of enrichment and employment opportunities. And so focusing on improving CTA will be a top priority. How about Cam Buckner is head of CTA? He had a very detailed plan as a mayoral rival. Yeah, uh, you know, Mr. Uh, Representative Buckner has a lot of good ideas, a lot of experience studying transportation issues via uh, his work as a state representative. So he's definitely someone that we will uh, consult on, on transportation issues moving forward. Maybe is there a place for him in the administration? Again, I don't want to speculate on on on, on hiring prior to, uh, you know, decisions being made and they won't be made by me. They'll be made by the mayor elect. I just know that Representative Buckner has a, has a broad swath of expertise. Don't know if he's interested. Obviously, he's got a great um, uh, uh, reputation in the state house. He's doing great work there. Um, so I, I wouldn't speculate there. All right, Jason Lee, get back to work on the transition. I'm sure you're knee deep in it. And best of luck to you, sir. Thank you so much for joining us and congratulations on your victory. Take care. Thank you so much. We will see you all next week. 